Today on Categorical Imperatives, we need to talk about the ridiculous and ignorant coverage of Kyle Rittenhouse's case and beginning in the corporate media following a pretrial hearing last Friday. Hey, greetings, and welcome back once again to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Locking Liberal, and I do want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Now, if you are new to the program, I would especially like to welcome you. Uh, This is a podcast where we're going to be using legal theory and moral philosophy to discuss law, politics, and culture. Now, today we need to talk about, as I alluded to just a moment ago, the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Now, this is a case that I have been following with some interest ever since, really, the night it happened, Uh, but I've actually never talked about Kyle or his case on the show before, and that has been intentional, Um, and I remain reluctant, actually, to try and cover it. It's just, it is impossible for anyone to express any kind of opinion whatsoever on really any aspect of these events, I, I mean, from the riots themselves, to the actions of Kyle, to the response from activists, uh, to the ongoing trial that is going on. And on on top of that, there's a lot of very talented people in independent media bloggers and podcasters who have done a remarkably good job at keeping their coverage fairly fact-based and objective, who I think are also just generally kind of better equipped for dealing with that kind of, uh, you know, sort of political grudge match that comes with topics like these uh, and that often just lead to uh, just slinging shit and people making unfair and absurd criticisms. And I just, I I have no desire to take my show uh, and just focus on law and philosophy and subject every video to that kind of never-ending grudge match in some kind of larger sphere of what I guess you could call the culture wars. Now today, we are going to be watching a clip from CNN, and in light of the uh, gravitas and the veritas that this sort of journalism requires, and because of their complete uh, imbecility that they operate under, leads me to believe that they should probably change their name to the Clown News Network. So we will be watching a roughly four-minute clip. Uh, in which two political activists who are LARPing as journalists and one political activist LARPing as a lawyer and legal analyst discuss the unfolding story. Uh, And I wish I could say that I chose this clip because it was like an especially egregious or uh, lazy, uh, you know, bad example of political spin. But unfortunately, I chose this one because their coverage is, first of all, fairly representative of the exact same kind of bullshit that you're going to find on the other corporate media channels, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, and so on. And I I think maybe even for the sort of dual purpose of demonstrating this uh, middling moderation of corporate media relative to uh, its coverage as a whole, uh, as well as uh, because this will just frankly be a chance for us to have a good laugh at someone else's expense, 
at the end of this, after we finish talking about a very heavy topic, uh, I thought we might watch uh, some amazing, amazing takeaways uh, from the Young Turks. And just to be clear, when I say the Young Turks, I mean the Young Turks who deny the Armenian genocide, not their antecedents who carried out the Armenian genocide. But anyways. So we will be watching the full clip from the CNN show. I've broken it up into several segments just to comply with fair use, uh, which is also why I have included a link to the full video down in the description below, because I really do encourage everyone before you hear my take on it to go uh, watch it through in its entirety once for yourself and just get a, get a feel for the uh, the sense and the tone and the context that the viewers who originally watch that program would have gotten. So, um, yeah, I guess let's just jump right to that then. Kyle Rittenhouse is set to go on trial next week for murder. The teenager killed two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, during protests last year in the aftermath of the Jacob Blake police shooting. Now, what has a lot of people paying attention this morning is, is a pretty controversial decision by the judge in a pre-trial hearing as there were some ground rules set that the prosecution is not happy with. The word victim is a loaded, loaded word. And I think alleged victim is a cousin to it. Let the evidence show what the evidence shows, and if the evidence shows that any or more than one of these people were engaging in arson, rioting, or looting, then I'm not going to tell the defense they can't call them that. Okay, Early Star co-anchor and attorney and legal reporter Laura Jarrett joins us. Now, let me just make crystal clear what happened there in case people didn't get it. The judge just said that the people Kyle Rittenhouse killed, and there's yes. no dispute over the fact that he killed them, they cannot be called victims, the people that he killed. They can, the judge says, however, be called rioters and looters. And that's the part I think people are finding... All right. Well, uh, the first thing that one may notice is how uh, their LARPing lawyer immediately starts uh, making Lionel Hutz look like Clarence fucking Darrow by comparison. Right. The foreman will pass the verdict to the bailiff. This verdict is written on a cocktail napkin, and it still says guilty. And guilty is spelled wrong. Eat. Do you have any evidence at all? Well, Your Honor, we've got plenty of hearsay and conjecture. Those are kinds of evidence. But really, uh, the important place to focus on is the significance of calling the two people uh, who were killed and the third person who was seriously wounded by Kyle a victim. Now, despite what you have been hearing from a lot of people probably, this is not unusual or atypical for a self-defense case. This is, in fact, a commonplace practice in cases where a defendant is making an affirmative defense, which means that he is not disputing the fact that he is the one who killed these people, but that he killed these people, but he is not guilty of murder all the same uh, because this was a lawful act of self-defense. That is, in fact, the very purpose of a trial like this, to determine who was the victim in the case. So look at it this way. 
let's say there is an incident where a woman was attacked uh, one night by a guy with a weapon. Uh, for, let's, for brevity's sake, let's just say he had a knife. He brandishes a knife uh, while attempting to rape her. Fortunately, this woman is a lawfully carrying a handgun for self-defense purposes and manages to shoot the man so she can get away and go get help. And by the time the police and EMS crews arrive on scene, they find the rapist is already dead from the gunshot wounds. Now, in that situation, is the rapist the victim? He was the one that died, after all. The obvious answer is, of course not. The woman uh, that he attempted to rape is the victim of the attack. And even though she killed him, and she is no doubt, uh, you know, responsible for his death, makes no difference. She is never not the victim of her attacker. Now, let's say some third party uh, was a witness to the way the attack unfolded and that that person comes forward with credible testimony and possibly maybe even some, let's say, circumstantial evidence that casts doubt on the account given by the woman that night. So let's say what he witnessed appeared to be an argument that was more akin to two people in a relationship in an aggressive but purely verbal fight. Let's say the witness claims that he never saw the man brandish a knife, that he never saw any physical struggle between the two of them, and that nothing about the man's behavior indicated an attempt to physically or sexually attack her, and that she shot him seemingly without any escalation or provocation uh, on the part of the man who was shot. So let's say there is enough uh, credible uh, evidence from the woman's testimony and from that third-party witness's testimony that the prosecutor decides to bring homicide charges against the woman while she maintains that she was in fear for her life and that she should be acquitted on the grounds that it was a justifiable self-defense. Who is the victim? Is there any way to make such a legal determination and assign guilt before that trial has even begun? I mean, it is a violation of the most basic rules of criminal procedure and civil procedure. It is an affront to any notion of a fair trial to allow either side, or even both sides, to paint themselves as the victim. It's a textbook example of begging the question. It presumes that to establish someone else is guilty, uh, not because of what they did, but because of who they are, you know? And so that's very much uh, like the judge's ruling, uh, in this case, on the motions in Lamine. Now, a motion in Lamine, uh, it, this, this is those pretrial uh, uh, the motions that the judge was entertaining that you saw a small clip of, they're, they're what known as a motion in Lamine. Uh, and it, just real quick, Black's Law Dictionary defines a motion in Lamine as a pre-trial request that certain inadmissible evidence not be referred to or offered at trial. They are made preliminary, and it is presented before the consideration of the judge, arbiter, or hearing officer to be decided without the merits being reached First, And so a motion in Lamine is distinct from a motion for a protective order, 
which is a request to present the discovery of evidence, and it is different from a motion to suppress, which can be raised by the defense in American criminal trials to prevent the admission of evidence that was obtained unconstitutionally. Now, a motion in Lamine can occur in both criminal and civil proceedings and is always decided by the judge. And the entire purpose is that this issue can be discussed outside the presence of the jury so it does not bias them to hear the conversation and to decide whether or not uh, certain evidence will or will not be allowed. So... The notion that motions to exclude use of the term victim on the part of either the prosecution or the defense, and regardless if you are using the term to refer to Kyle or to the guys he shot, uh, is because it can prejudice the jury. If the entire purpose of the trial is to present the meaning of relevant criminal laws as well as the facts of the case to a jury whose decision will weigh all of those things and decide who is the perpetrator, and who is the victim. I think people are finding so disturbing. The prosecution is calling it a double standard. And in reality, they're dead. They cannot defend themselves at this trial, right? And typically, um, when there's an agreement that somebody has been harmed in some way, injured, or been killed, Victim is an accepted term. There are defense lawyers who've been arguing for years that it is prejudicial, um, that it implies guilt, and that it taints the jury's mind. Courts are split on this. Jury instructions use the term victim all the time. Some people define it in different ways. Um, but at bottom here, what you're pointing out is that the judge took it a step further by saying that the people who died should be cast in the light for the crimes that they committed when, in fact, people go to jail for killing people who commit crimes all the time. And so I think that's the part that's really got people's attention. Okay, so the judge had decided that using the term victim to refer to people for whom this trial is meant to determine whether or not they are victims is not going to be permitted. Uh... Now, th despite what she says about, you know, this being something that's very controversial and some people believe in some of it, bullshit. No, this is exactly what happens on any case that hinges on a claim of an affirmative defense claim of self-defense. This is standard operating procedure that could not be more commonplace. There is nothing atypical about what happened here. Now... Uh, the reason that uh, the people who were shot can be referred to as rioters, uh, looters, or arsonists, uh, as well as a fourth term that uh, was allowed to, that they are allowed to use, that the judge permitted, but that CNN, of course, didn't cover for no particular reason because it's the only one that doesn't make Kyle look bad, and that is protester. So the reason the judge said that uh, referring to these people as rioters, looters, arsonists, or protesters is allowed is because whether or not these people were involved in an act of arson, in an act of looting, in causing a riot, none of that has any bearing on whether or not Kyle acted in self-defense. She even said, quote, people go to jail all the time for killing people who may have committed a crime, yeah, now this this is absolutely true and actually validates the fact 
that the terms are not of substantive concern to the case. Kyle is not claiming he acted in self-defense because he saw someone start a fire or that he acted in self-defense because he saw someone else engaged in looting a store. And he is not saying that he acted in self-defense because he saw some particular people in the vicinity rioting. His claim of self-defense is based on Kyle's assertion that the people he shot attacked him and tried to take his firearm. The two guys Rittenhouse shot and killed are not on trial. And whether the people Kyle shot uh, committed one or more of the alleged acts that we have been going over, and even if the guy who died committed none of those three criminal offenses, it's still entirely immaterial to deciding if Rittenhouse was acting in justified self-defense when he used deadly force. I think, you know, one of the things to remember is why is this even coming up, right? Um, Rittenhouse is going to say self-defense. He's going to say, I was so afraid from all of these looters and arsonists. But evidence 101 tells you that is not going to fly. And that's why this evidence shouldn't have been let in. Because whether someone was setting fire to a building nearby should have no bearing on whether Kyle Rittenhouse was afraid for his life and thought that it was okay to shoot that person, right? That Those two things don't go together. So I think this trial is going to be extremely fraught. Yes, those two things go together. Almost as though he can say the one thing and not have it be an excuse for the other. Now, this is just incredible. Uh, this woman, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, something Jarrett. I, Goddamn, I, I had looked it up a little bit earlier, but I, I was, uh, Valerie Jarrett, that's it. Um, so I had been confused about how an attorney who, according to the way she described herself, used to be a litigator, could possibly say something this confusing and dumb. It did not make sense when you consider how horribly ignorant about criminal law she is, as well as the rules and procedures thereof. And on top of that fact that she felt qualified to speak as a, quote, expert about the relevant issues of law and fact as regards the Kyle Rittenhouse case specifically. Even if you take into consideration that she works for CNN, which has become the major player in cable TV news media by hiring undoubtedly politically motivated actors and activists who seem to prefer a very loose definition for terms like journalist, legal expert, or even so-called facts. But even if we take a moment and contemplate the fact that they had the audacity to hire anchors like Don Smell My Finger Lemon and Chris Fredo Cuomo and call these people journalists, as well as Jeffrey Tubin who also sometimes I've heard uh, goes by the alias little Jeffrey Von Lubin Tubin. Uh, now, not only did he hi they hire this man <laughs> as a journalist, but they rehired him shortly after being caught tugging on his little Tubin while fantasizing about a co-worker who he had just been in a video conference with. Even when you consider that as the caliber of people we're dealing with here, it still doesn't account for how a so-called lawyer with experience in litigation could be this ignorant of criminal rules and procedure. Well, I did a little digging, and it turns out it's because she isn't really either of those things. She doesn't have a law degree. She has a bachelor's degree in law. 
and she spent a couple years clerking for a justice. Then she worked at a firm with lawyers who were litigators. She was not a litigator. She worked for a team of people who were litigators. And the firm that she worked with handled regulatory disputes and administrative law cases between big corporations who her firm was representing and the government. So she never litigated any cases. The closest she ever got to a courtroom was dealing with regulatory and administrative law. Um, and look, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand the law. Uh, in fact, in my own experience, a lot of the stuff they teach people in law schools it turns out to be far more of a hindrance to a career in the practice of law than it is a benefit. And the only thing tougher than learning something you don't know is unlearning something that you do know that isn't actually so. So take that for what it's worth. But the point is that no one has ever claimed Kyle Rittenhouse shot these people out of self-defense because he saw them start a fire. If that was his defense, he would be going to jail, and he would deserve to go to jail. If he said, I shot someone in self-defense because I saw them stealing shit from a store that I don't own, he would go to jail, and he should go to jail for that. And same thing if he said, I saw a group of people uh, somewhere in this vicinity who were rioting, and therefore I shot them in self-defense. Same thing. He would go to jail, and he would deserve to go to jail. No one has made that claim. No one at all. Kyle has never said that. None of the rioters say that that happened. Kyle's defense attorneys haven't said that. The prosecution hasn't accused him of saying that, and the judge is not claiming he said that. So I don't know where this lady is getting her information from, but it's definitely not from any document or person or piece of evidence that has any relation whatsoever to the Kyle Rittenhouse case. She just made it up. She just made it up. And that is precisely the kind of thing that CNN would do. Now, We've all seen the footage of what happened. A group of people set a dumpster on fire. Kyle came over with a fire extinguisher, put out the fire. Someone in the crowd gets really mad at him for that and starts chasing Kyle. Kyle runs away until he reaches a point where there is nowhere to run. He turns around. The guy is still chasing him. He fires a shot and misses. The guy gets pissed off and continues running towards him. Kyle, he he then reaches for and tries to grab and take away Kyle's gun, and Kyle shoots him three times in self-defense. Now, several minutes later, a group of people who had either been uh, there with Rosenbaum, the first man who was shot, uh, or who heard that he had been shot, start chasing after Kyle. Now, again, Kyle makes a great effort to simply run away from the crowd and to not engage in violence. At some point, Kyle trips and falls, and one of the guys chasing him jumps over Kyle. Kyle shoots and misses, and then that guy keeps running away. Now, his second attacker, uh, Anthony Huber, walks up to Kyle. He is holding a skateboard in his right hand, and when he gets close enough uh, that uh, he essentially 
reaches for Kyle's gun with his left hand while hitting Kyle with the skateboard in his right hand. Kyle then shoots once. Huber begins to stagger, and after a few feet, he collapses. And then a third man, uh, I, I, I don't know, is it pronounced Gage Grosskreutz or something? I, I don't know. It's spelled really weird. Um, but anyways, this third man, uh, we'll just say Grosskreutz, uh, continues toward Kyle. Kyle shoots, Grosskreutz ducks, stops, and then gets back up and starts heading toward Kyle again. Kyle shoots again. This time he hits Grosskreutz in the right arm. And we find out uh, at that point on the videotape, we can see what Kyle saw all along, which was that Grosskreutz had a fucking handgun in his right hand. He had been holding a gun that he was pointing at Kyle as he approached. So now this too, uh, Kyle shoots once. He hits but does not kill Grosskreutz, and the guy runs and flees the scene. So those are the relevant elements of Kyle's self-defense case. Where in there exactly did anyone say that he shot people because someone started a fire? Or that he shot people because he saw people looting a store? He never said that. What happened was, people chased him and tried to take his gun. He had a moral duty to shoot them. It's just that one of the most common complaints I hear from anti-gun advocates is about, you know, well, what if a bad guy or someone with bad intentions, you know, gets your gun from you? Uh, You know, even if you only had the gun for lawful self-defense purposes, you don't know what they want it for. You know, they may use it to go kill innocent people. So, generally speaking, they recognize that being a responsible gun owner means keeping your firearm secure and out of the hands of people whose intentions you do not know. At least they understand that until it actually happens. And when Kyle did exactly that, he did what any responsible gun owner would do and make sure some person who meant him harm and whose intentions he had no way of knowing tried to disarm him. He defended himself. So it's just, it's tragic that people died, but I mean, if you have to give them a bullet so they don't get the gun, that's what you do. I'm sorry, that's what you do. It'd be immoral not to. But because this kid has been demonized, no one can fucking think straight about the case anymore, it seems like. So I just laid out the uh, basic facts of the case uh, based on Kyle's account of events for that night, as well as the evidence we have in the form of videos uh, and uh, the eyewitness accounts that we have. Uh, So the thing is, we can watch it for ourselves, you know, and uh, no one has ever suggested that Kyle shot these people in self-defense because they were looters, rioters, or arsonists. These were people in Kenosha who chose or entirely unrelated purposes to partake in looting, rioting, and arson, who, at some point, coincidentally, crossed Kyle's path, attacked him, chased him, and tried to hurt him, and tried to disarm him. 
when Kyle had made every reasonable attempt to remove himself from the trouble without using violence, in the he did what he had to do, and he defended himself against mob justice. Now, it's pretty fucked up that within the sphere of activists who decided that he was guilty simply because they wanted him to be, this is about as close to a fair hearing in the court of corporate public opinion as one can hope for. That is the CNN clip I played to you specifically. So let's take a look at how much worse it can get when you take people from that same general political persuasion as CNN, like, for example, the Young Turks who are just as bad in every way except one. They still choose to elevate rumors and lies and hold them up as though they were factual accounts. But as soon as they stop pretending they're reporting facts and begin to give their own political commentary on these events, they do at least have the decency to admit that their opinions are biased and influenced by their progressive politics. So, let's... uh. Let's have some fun and consider how much more drastic this rhetoric gets as soon as people who feel comfortable expressing their opinions, as opposed to CNN, where uh, every activist who anchors a TV show pretend that they're like this generation's Walter fucking Cronkite or something, uh, you know. Anyways, yeah, so here, uh, we'll just get right into it. Here's the coverage of what they have to say uh, about the first video of the night that we're that I'll show right after this. This is the one where uh with Rittenhouse and Rosenbaum moments before Kyle ended up having to shoot him. Okay. There are multiple videos from that night. The first first video was Kyle Rittenhouse literally chasing a protester into a park. Kyle chased a protester into a parking lot, she says. Let's see what the evidence shows. Man who police identified as Rittenhouse runs across the parking lot of an auto service shop, followed by a shirtless man who was later identified as Joseph Rosenbaum. First video was Kyle Rittenhouse literally chasing a protester into a parking lot, followed by a shirtless man who was later identified as Joseph Rosenbaum. How the fuck did the Young Turks re reach this conclusion that the first video showed Kyle chasing an unarmed man? I haven't the slightest idea. All evidence, including the footage that they are suggesting they got this from, they, they get it completely backwards. Kyle's testimony, the videotape evidence, and all witness testimony, along with the initial criminal complaint, and the prosecution attorneys and the de uh, defense attorneys, none of them have suggested that it was Kyle chasing Rosenbaum. And they all confirm Kyle was the one being chased. So then, it, it's kind of interesting. They, they all of a sudden pretend what they want is justice and that if the trial establishes that Kyle acted lawfully in self-defense, then Kyle should be found not guilty, they say. Except that they say, unfortunately, there's not one shred of evidence that suggests lawful self-defense. 
and that it conclusively shows that Kyle is just a cold-blooded murderer of two kids because he was a racist with a gun looking to kill people because he's really just that racist. Lucky for us, Chink articulated several hypothetical scenarios of what he says would satisfy his own threshold of evidence that Kyle acted in self-defense, what he calls magic evidence. So if you're on that jury and it turns out, hey, one of the guys pointed uh, that Kyle Rittenhouse had not done anything, didn't start anything, and one of the guys in the in the crowd pointed a gun at his head and then he turned around and actually defended himself, then you should let him go. Then he's not guilty. That is Well, abracadabra, motherfucker. For my next trick, watch as I make Cenk's entire narrative disappear. Now, what you are looking at right here is a still shot of Kyle on the ground when he was running away, but he tripped and fell. Kyle is on the ground, and it is the second person he shot, Huber, who is standing over him. As you can see, this guy is in mid-swing with his skateboard that he is holding in his right hand uh, that he has been hitting Kyle with, and he is at the same time using his left hand to try and grab uh, the rifle barrel and to uh, disarm Kyle. And right behind Huber, you can see the third guy, Grosskreutz, who has pulled out a pistol and is bringing his hands up to point the gun at Kyle. Now, a moment later, when Kyle shoots Grosskreutz, Grosskreutz had the pistol pointed directly at Rittenhouse. So, in fact, we don't just have the minimum threshold of evidence for self-defense uh, as defined by the great American water buffalo himself. We actually have more than that. We have two people with weapons, both wielding them against Rittenhouse. Now, finally, I want to make one more point, uh, and this has to do with something that you have been probably hearing a lot of people who know absolutely nothing about the law have been making this really mindless claim that to me suggests everything that they think they understand about law comes from watching either Law and Order or seeing movies based on John Grisham books because it is quintessentially stereotypical. It's about how they think it is relevant that Kyle lives in Illinois and that he had to cross state lines with a firearm. Can you see video of protesters trying to take his gun away? Because obviously we're dealing with a 17-year-old from out of state. From out of state. So never mind the fact that he lives right on the Illinois-Wisconsin border and that getting to Kenosha from his home takes 15 minutes. I, I know plenty of people who live and work in the same city, and their commute can take longer than 15 minutes to go from home to work. To say that Kyle had no reason to be there is absurd. He also works in Kenosha and was there to help friends he has in Kenosha to deter any violence that may have threatened their persons or their property. And never mind the fact that he actually, as they continue to state, uh, they, they keep saying that he crossed state lines with the gun. He didn't. 
he actually didn't. Not that there is anything at all intrinsically wrong with a person who chooses to exercise their right of armed self-defense, which would be impossible to do if cities, counties, and states started making arbitrary rules that say, even though you are legally allowed to keep and carry a gun for self-defense in the state of Illinois, and even though you are legally allowed to keep and carry a firearm for self-defense in Wisconsin, there is this imaginary line where your constitutionally protected individual right of self-defense ceases to exist for some reason. However, the main point is that he didn't travel across state lines with the rifle. The rifle was being stored at a family friend's home in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He came into the state unarmed. Now, if anyone watching this video is or has been under the impression uh, that Kyle's penchant for crossing imaginary things with a firearm is something relevant, I, I, and I'm genuinely, genuinely asking this. If you are someone who thinks that there is some reason why pointing out that he crossed state lines uh, somehow adds anything to the conversation at all, where do you get that from? Why does that matter to you? Uh, please, I'm serious, leave me a comment down in the description below. If you genuinely think that that is accurate, I would really like to hear why you think that particular fact is pertinent to the case, because I haven't heard a single reason yet. Now, furthermore, uh, just because this is a show that mostly focuses on constitutional law, uh, we're going to get into uh, the Constitution's Article 4 Privileges and Immunities Clause real quick here. Now, this clause is perfectly clear in that not, it, not only was uh, owning a firearm for self-defense uh, and leaving one state and entering another uh, not criminal conduct, that is actually an explicitly protected individual right. Now, the Article 4 Privileges and Immunities Clause is found Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1, and it reads as such, quote, The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states, end quote. state line he drove from illinois to kenosha wisconsin now again he drove from illinois to wisconsin it's not like he was in his front yard yeah. and he was approached by a group of individuals who posed an imminent threat to his life he drove across state lines in a state that he doesn't even live in and then he crossed state lines with it he crossed state lines meaning he traveled across state lines he traveled there from out of state who again uh traveled across Oh, Anna, your ignorance is gold, and I love it. Yes, that is right. Not only did this monster cross state lines, he actually came from out of state. Because clearly those kinds of mitigating factors uh, accumulating is crucial to understand. Because if you travel from one state to another state while you are actively involved in crossing a state line, that is a, pro that is a profile of a serial state crosser. Uh, quite frankly, it's only a matter of time before this disturbing state-crossing trend urges him to go further and further in his reoffending. Now, this is a frightening prospect for someone like myself who lives in Minnesota. Think about it. 
he has been known to cross the state line between Illinois and Wisconsin. It's only a matter of time before us good, decent, God-fearing, country-loving citizens in either Minnesota or Michigan become the next innocent victims of his state-line-crossing criminal wanderlust. Now, the fact that Kyle crossed some arbitrary imaginary line means nothing. Otherwise, they would... Why not point out that Kyle also crossed the street when he was fleeing the mob? Oh, he crossed a parking lot as well. You know, maybe as he was running, he crossed his fingers for good luck. I've even heard reports that at the time when he crossed the state line from out of state, his friend became cross with him because Kyle was crossing state lines and listening to his favorite song by Criss Cross. And who knows how many churches he passed along the way, and consider every time he did, he was crossing the crosses in each and every church. This is a serial offender here, and dangerous, clearly dangerous. So the bottom line is, if that gun is legal in Illinois, uh, and possession of the same gun is legal in Wisconsin, why do people keep talking about how he crossed state lines with a gun as though he committed a crime? Really, if anyone watching this thinks that there is any logic or rationale behind saying he crossed state lines, he crossed state lines, please leave me a comment. Let me know exactly what it is you think this claim proves. And why is it only an issue of crossing state lines? Why is it not an issue if he crosses, say, county lines or city lines? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's really all I have for you guys here today on the show. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, now, if you want to support the show, you can head on over to uh, places such as uh, Patreon and become a, uh, what is it, a patron over there. Or if you want to leave a tip at PayPal, you can do that as well. Uh, also, too, if you're not able to support the show that way as well right now, I completely understand. But uh, just if you're subscribed to the channel, uh, you know, make sure you subscribe to the channel so you always know when new videos come out. And if you could just take a minute and think of one friend you know who you think might also uh, really like this video, who might find it interesting, and just share the video with them. If you would do that for me and help me grow the channel that way, I would be very grateful. So, I guess uh, all that's left to say is this has been me, Lockie and Liberal, for Categorical Imperatives. And as always, De Linda S. Cadago. Mercury. Mother